0: Good morning. So, I'll first tell you about my eye, because that's what everybody's wondering what happened to me. No, Lisa didn't let me have it last night. We had a big fight, right? No. I knew it. No, really, I had to have some surgery done as a little puffiness, that's all it is. So, Okay. I want to, I'm still in worship. That song, Waiting Here For You, so appropriate song for today. And I pray that, you know, as praise the Lord for the worship team as they just led us into the presence of God. And I hope you sense God's presence today, you know, as we worship. That's really an essential part of your experience as a Christian. So we sing Waiting Here For You. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for Him, aren't we? Philippians 3.13 says this. This is a scripture that kept coming to my mind while we were singing that, so I want to read it to you. We'll just flow with the Holy Spirit. Oh, is that okay? All right. Philippians 3.13 says this. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, I forget what is behind, and I strain towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I'm letting go. That's all we do. When we come as Christians, we're letting go of something. We're letting go of what was. And we're reaching for what? Waiting here for you. And then when we sense his presence... That's that touch from heaven. That's your inheritance as a Christian. If you have not yet experienced that, um, um, seek us out. You know we can pray for you and we can help bring you into the into your experience in the Lord. And hopefully the message today will help you better understand the fact that we are the temple of God, as the Scripture read. But let's pray and ask the Lord to continue to bless us with His presence. And that we would all receive from him today and his Holy Spirit. Father, we are so grateful and we humble our heart before you. We wait on you, Lord. We let go, Lord, of all the things that are holding us today, all the things that hold us earthbound. And we Lift our hands, Lord, in worship, symbolically reaching towards heaven for a touch from you. Lord, we let go of our past. We let go, Lord, of habits today, Lord. That's our our desire, Lord, that you would sanctify our body today, Lord. We ask you to sanctify us with the blood of Jesus Christ, Lord, so in faith we confess our sin to you, that you would sanctify us afresh and anew in Christ, our Lord, covering us with his sin and his righteousness. So whatever habit might have you today, just in faith, just let go of it. That's where it all starts. It starts in faith. So, Father, we say, touch that person today who's letting go of that habit, that bondage, that generational issue that's been following them, following their parents, grandparents so far back, all the way back to the Adam, when Adam left go of you and fell so far down. And man's been calling out for you to touch them ever since and to restore us back to that wonderful place of communion with you where everything, all the things of earth just fade away. The cares of life fade away. The deceitfulness of riches fade away. Those we hate, all of a sudden we can love because of your presence. Strife fades away in your presence. We become one in your presence. And we are so grateful for that, Lord, the power of the manifest presence of yourself here amongst us, changing us to be like your son. And we're so grateful for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your broken body, for taking all of our brokenness upon yourself and giving us healing and restoration. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your sweet presence in this room right now just healing people as we pray to you, touching people, softening our hearts and quieting our spirit, that we can just enjoy your peace that passes all understanding today, that we would be changed. For if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passing away and all things are becoming new. Father, we are people of the new creation. We know it. And we want everything you have to offer, that we could be set apart, sanctified for your use, for your glory, that Calvary Vision Church could be a place of the Shekinah glory of God to manifest in our midst, softening our hearts, making us one, lifting us up, lifting us and joining us and knitting us into one great garment of praise for your honor and your glory, Father. So help us now as we look into your word that we would receive what you have for us lord thank you for using vessels of clay to do it and we ask you to pardon that in jesus name amen okay we're looking at uh, some scriptures in regarding to sanctification and the the message is, has been entitled restoring the garden of his love this is going to be part 3 so i just want to catch us up a little bit before we continue our study. It was titled such because sanctification is about restoration of what was lost. Your salvation, which is your redemption, right? We read that in 1 Corinthians 6 20, started the process and sanctification is our personal experience of restoring our heart back to its original intent. So when we think about this, so the first thing I want us to To get a hold of today is that whole thing about our salvation. We understand when we ask Jesus to save us that we are saved. But there's another word that is very important to keep in mind all the time. And that is redemption. The Bible says Jesus redeemed you. And the word redemption means he paid a price and bought you. You became his personal possession. Did you ever think about that? That you're not a free person? You're free in Christ, but he bought you, he redeemed you, so you're not your own. The Bible says we are not our own. We've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body, for it is his. So keep that in mind today that we belong to him. That's a hard struggle because as we're waiting on him and as we're letting go of the things here and reaching ahead, we have a real struggle going between the two realms, Because down on this place in the earth, it was so much about us. Because we're leaving a place of sin and selfishness and what even Jesus said, don't you know that you're the father, the devil? Can you imagine that, that the devil was once our father? And of course, Satan represents what? Rebellion. Rebelling against God who had the proper ownership of even all the angels in heaven. But he wanted to do his own thing and he fell. And, of course, God created Adam, and then Adam wanted to do his own thing, and he fell. And so here we are in this transition period, right? If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things are becoming new. We're being transformed. And in this process, it's that struggle because we still want to be in control. But then God says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm in control. Why are you in control? Well, I paid the price for you. You're not your own anymore. Could you please get in order? I think I am in order. Okay, let's look at the Word of God and see if you're in order because the Word of God is our standard for faith and practice, amen? So when we find ourselves in contrariness towards the Word, then we have to make a decision. Do we humble ourselves and move towards the Word and become Christ-like? Or do we say, no, I don't think so. I think I'm going to stay right here. Thank you. And then we stall the process of becoming like Jesus. But I know when we're in worship, when you're in worship and you're in his presence, sometimes you think, how in the world am I ever going to change? I've had this habit my whole life. My dad was like this. My grandfather was like this. My great-grandfather was like this. And you know what? I'm going to be like this. Isn't that what people say? My great-grandfather had a heart attack at 40. My, and, and I'm going to have it. It's in your head. It's kind of like it's in, you got to know. You got to dismiss that. You got you to rebuke that. You got to renounce that and say, No, I'm in Christ. I've been purchased with the blood of Christ. I am a new creation. There's something new in store for me. What might have happened to my father, my grandfather, all my descendants doesn't mean it has to control me because I've been bought with a price. I'm no longer in that realm where the earth has me held down in that jurisdiction. I have now been set free to rise, to go to things above. I press on. I press towards the mark in Christ Jesus. Are you with me? Amen. Amen. So, what is sanctification then? Sanctification is the restoring of the glory of God and His people. That's very important to remember that. So remember, we've been bought with a price. We're not our own anymore. But yet, even as in submission to God, we're as free as we're ever going to be. Do you follow me? Even in submission, that's why Paul said, "I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. I'm a dun- dunamis. That means I'm a bondservant to Jesus Christ." You know what a bondservant was? A bondservant was a, a servant who a, was a slave who got set free, but he said, "I love my master so much, I'm going to voluntarily be his slave for life." And they would take him up to the doorpost and take his ear, and they'd they'd shove an awl through his ear, and that was the symbol for it. So, all you wear earrings, you're. You're a good Christian. Just kidding. Just kidding. So, it is the restoration of the glory of God to His people waiting here for you. It is the setting something apart. That's sanctification. It's from what we were to what He wants us to be. It's the process of being transformed by God. It is the practical outworking of the Spirit of God in you by accomplishing God's will in you. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says... That this is the will of God, even our sanctification. And it is a restoration of the garden, our heart from the effects of the fall and sin, for a holy habitation of God in us. That's what all sanctification is it's taking us from what we were and that awesome, terrible struggle of being transformed from the caterpillar, remember, into the butterfly. We're being transformed. That's what sanctification is. And it's taking us from earth-boundness to freedom and heaven-boundness, even when we're on the earth. So in our journey, we're all at a different point, and that's why we love each other, even through the struggle, right? Because we're all in the process of being changed. So we love each other. But in our earth boundness, we want to cling on to the world and the things of the world. That's why Paul said your mind has to be renewed. Because when you're on this end of things, your mind still thinks on that end of things. But God's going to transform you by the renewing of your mind. So that you can prove or that you can experience God's will. It's in the process. I'm encouraging you to get in the process and experience God. When we come together as children and we worship God... We are to experience God. If you don't experience God, you're missing out on something. God wants us to experience Him. We experience Him personally in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's called his peace and the fruit of the Spirit. We should be experiencing that in our life. Not religiously, where we have to perform and act it out and force ourselves to do this or that. But it should be a natural outworking of abiding in Christ. He said if we abide in him, his word abides in us, the end result's gonna be fruitfulness. And your fruit will remain, say? That's what's his will for us. Okay. It is the process of the glory of God taking His rightful place again in the heart of the believer. God will show us, via the Holy Spirit, those areas of our life that are not set apart for Him. And when He does, we need to decide, are we going to let go or are we going to move towards heaven? Amen. So, before we get into the message today, I want to say this, what sanctification is not. It is not earning forgiveness for sin. That's already been done. Amen. It is not gaining God's approval. Once you're in Christ, you got God's approval. You don't have to gain it anymore. It is not acquired. It is not the acquiring of God's affirmation of your self-worth. This is an awesome, freeing truth when you get it. Because a lot of people get confused. They get saved in Christ, everything's free. But then they think, well, everything's free. Now i got to start doing stuff. My own nieces and nephews say, well, if it's by grace, then it's by grace. I don't have to do anything, right? I'm not going to do whatever I want. See, why are they thinking like that? They're still down here. They're still earthbound. They might have got washed in the blood, but they're they're still thinking like a natural man. You see what I'm saying? Yes, God saved us, and we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We're totally free. Do we have to do anything? For your salvation, no. But for your sanctification, yes. Paul said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because God is restoring us to a place where His Shekinah glory can brood over us and rest upon us. You with me? God is trying to make us a people. God is trying to restore what Adam lost in the garden. And all the way through the Old Testament, He was giving us types and shadows of what that looked like. And then Jesus came, and he restored it, and Christians then could accept him and start the process all over. But the mature place God wants us to come to is simply to the place where you can rest in Christ and receive the communion with the Father. In John 17, Jesus said, Father, I pray that they would be one as we are one. What was he talking about? He was talking about that experience of communing with God, and you can do that all alone. And when we come together as a body, We do it as a body, and God's presence shows up. Okay, now let's look at a couple points. Let's look at the glory of God. I want to go back to the first mention of it, and of course the book of First Mention, that's good as your study, just as a study tool. Always go to the first mention of something and look at the original intent, because if we we want to become what God wants us to be, let's just go back and look what it was when he first created man, right? Let's study Adam a little bit. If you're going to paint something and it's going to be a replica of something, you've got to know what the original was before you can redo it. Okay? So let's turn it in your Bibles, if you have it, to Genesis 1. Let's go back there. How many have their swords with them today? Don't lead home without it. You've got to be armed and ready. The Bible says put on the whole armor of God, the sword of the Spirit, right, which is the Word of God. Am I, is that correct? Amen. So Genesis 1:20 and God said let the water teem with the living creatures and let the birds fly above God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing which was in the waters and so on and so forth and God saw that it was good And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day So here we see God created Very interesting thing. I want to draw a distinction here between God's creating everything else and then God bringing man into the scene. So here, the word created is unique. It just means God created something out of nothing. He just said, let it be. Boom, there it was. Now, Genesis 2-7. Here comes Adam. Then the Lord God formed Adam. Did you catch the difference I'm trying to get at there? How did he, what did he do at first? He did what? Created. Now what's he doing? He's forming. There's a little difference with forming something and creating something. He instantly created everything else, but now he's going to slow down and take his time when he's going to form something. He's going to form man out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Now, this wasn't God-given mouth-to-mouth to Adam. Adam. Because God's a spirit. So when God breathed into Adam, the Bible's merely just communicating to us that God himself entered Adam. His spirit, he became a living soul. God and Adam were total unity. Just like when we get born again, the Holy Spirit enters our spirit. Did you ever think about that? That when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says the Holy Spirit enters you. You become the temple of God. Mm. If you think about that verse, it might be a little more discerning what you watch on television. Imagine we're dragging God in. Isn't that why Paul said if we have sex with prostitutes, we're joining Christ to the harlot? He's with us in everything we do. When we realize that God's presence is His desire, His kind of glory is to go with us everywhere. It really slows us down on how we treat people, the exchange of sign language on the road, (laughs) how we judge people. You may get angry, and that's a righteous emotion, but then you got, God says we got how long to deal with our anger, 24 hours, then you got to hit the reset if you want to be on track with God. So God is good, isn't he? All of God. So he formed man. So let's turn to Isaiah 64, 8. When we talk about the forming, this brings these verses to mind. 64, 8 says, Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are the work of your hand. Well, wasn't he, the Adam, the work of God's hand? Amen? Mm-hmm. And then Isaiah 45, 9. It says, "'Woe to him who quarrels with his Maker, to him who is but a potsherd among the potsherds on the ground.'" Does the clay say to the potter, What are you making? You see, every time we struggle with God in the transformation process, when we hear the word and God's saying something, we struggle with Him, what are we saying? We're saying to the potter, Do you really have ownership over me? Don't you know I'm an American? We're free. We're going to do our own thing, our own way, when we want, how we want. Well, that was okay when you were still in the old man. But when you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you lost all that. You see, the devil will give you that for one lifetime. You think you're free and you're doing your own thing. Hmm? But then when you die, the one who owns you comes for you, and it's not a good time. You don't want to be at that that, uh, meeting time. When, the, uh, when he comes for you. So you say, no, I want to be saved. So you step into Christ. You lose all your rights. Sorry, you don't have any rights as a Christian. None. Zippo. Because you've been purchased with a price. Now he owns you. But you know, he's a good owner. He's a good father. He, he desires to be called father. But yet, he has say over our life. And even though he created Adam and he gave him the entire earth, he gave him Everything. It's all yours, son. Go enjoy yourself. But yet Adam was bound by the will of God. And when he violated that will, even though it was such a little thing to him, well, it looks good, but yet he violated it. There was problem in the universe. There was problem on the planet because man stepped into a place where he had no business and as a Christian, when you get saved and you think you still have the right to do what you want your way whenever you want, how you want to do it because everyone else is doing it that way and that's the way my forefathers did it and it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. Sorry. The minute you step into that arrogant, unrighteous and rebellious position, you shunt the Shekinah glory of God. You shunt His presence. You, the Bible says you grieve the Holy Spirit. You say, we don't have that right. So God formed Adam. He formed man, and he breathed into him his very self. So that's the point I'm getting at here. So that's how man experienced God in the beginning. He experienced God and God's blessing in the beginning when he understood that God. he had to obey God. It was as simple as that. The minute we think that we're our own boss, we're in trouble, and we're going to lose his presence, life is going to become irksome, Life is going to be hard and burdensome. We're going to lose the peace of God. We're going to lose everything that God said we can have, because we're stiff-necked and we want to do it our way. That's we don't. That's too high a price. It's not worth it. Don't do that. You know, because when you get to that point, then God says, "I'm going to have to chastise you now," because I love you. Then He has to bring out the winnowing fork. He has to put the torch on you, because He's going to purify you through the refining fire. Is that what He says He does? We don't, we don't want to be chastised by God because I guarantee you, you'll say uncle before he does. And as they say, your arms are too short to box with God. He will win the battle. He's going to win the battle because he already won the battle. Now, I want to look at a few verses in the Old Testament. That's point number two of the glory of God. We've seen it at the beginning, how it was and how it was lost. Adam lost it when he decided to do his own thing, Right? Mm-hmm. That's right. And so we want to look now first at the Ark of the Covenant. What do you think of when I say Ark of the Covenant? What's the, what do you think? What's the first thing? Indiana Jones, right? That's everybody thinks. That's what I think. Every time I hear that, that's what I think of. Okay, turn to Exodus 40. So here's God after the fall. God's making a way so he can visit his people again. Very interesting how God has to jump through all these hoops before Christ came and redeemed us. But Exodus 40, 34 says this. And so here Moses was given these, all these instructions on how to build the tabernacle. You know, he had to build the ark and he had to put the rings in it and the poles and the cherub... And then they put, you know, the curtain over it for the Holy of Holies. And then the outer court, right, they had the lampstand and all those things in there. And God had, no, it has to be just like this. It has to be just like this. It has to be a certain way. And before you can even come into me, this is what you must do. And he put them through all the ritual of the sacrifice, which was, of course, looking forward to Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate sacrifice. So their faith and obedience to God and what he told them to do made them righteous with God and that the high priest could at least once a year go into the holy of holies and make atonement for their sins. We are so blessed, church, to have the freedom of walking with God every day, and we don't have to jump through all the religious rituals. But anyway, so here we have uh, Exodus 40, 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting. Guess what? They did their thing. They worshiped. They were, while they were worshiped, they were offering the sacrifices. The priest was cleansing themselves in the, in, in the labor and all this. And then what were they doing? They were waiting for God. They were waiting for his approval. How did he show his approval back then? He did it by a cloud covering the tent, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That's pretty awesome. And then let's go to 2 Chronicles 7. Samuel King's Chronicles, right? 2 Chronicles 7. I hope you didn't come in here tired today because this isn't a hellfire and brimstone one. This is a little more in the Word, digging in the Word, right? Okay? All right, so we get in the Word. We feast on the Word. It's the Word that does it. doesn't matter. I could stand up here and yell and entertain you, but you leave here without any word in you, you're not going to change. And I failed. So let's just stay in the Word, and let's just track here. Second Chronicles 7, 1. So this is when Solomon got done building. This is when Solomon got done fulfilling David's desire, which is a very interesting story we'll look at. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. This is after Solomon built the big temple. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of God filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord of the temple, they knelt. Their knees went like this. They got weak in the knees. Everything changed. Whatever they were thinking about was just vanished out of their mind, and they saw this manifestation of Almighty God. They were just, they were weakened in their body, and their knees went to the pavement, and their faces to the ground, and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. His love endures forever, and that's how it is with us we should come into god's presence and in his presence we get our body which you know we put so much emphasis on our body don't we and the things of our natural side but when we come into god's presence if you're in the living presence of god you all of a sudden you get you find your weakness manifesting and you find that wow my my cockiness and my all the junk in me just all of a sudden gets short circuited and it's like okay and you just bow to God. We should experience that as God's people quite regularly. And it's very healthy. And then I want to turn to 2 Samuel 7. Samuel, so we're going to go towards the front. Samuel, King's Chronicles. I'm going to back up. 2 Samuel 7. Okay, here's where uh, David got the idea for the temple. David was at the pinnacle of his career. Beat up all his enemies. They were in the land. Things were going good. Everything is on the up. Everybody likes that experience, right? In relationships, you like when everything is good. She loves me. It's good. Yeah, this is sweet. This is really good. Or you're in a job and they're on the way up. When the company's on the way up, Hey, the boss is having another party Friday night. Let's go, man. Everything's happy. I got another raise, man. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Honey, let's plan some new things, right? So everything's great. But then would you ever get to a place or in a company where it starts, the money starts drying up and everything starts going down? Or you're in a relationship and the honeymoon's over and all of a sudden things start going the other way? Mm, mm, mm. So anyway, David was at the top. And he had a lot of free time on his hands, and he built himself a beautiful palace. Everything was good, and this is what he says. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from his enemies all around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am, living in a palace of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in your mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. This is a perfect example of somebody having good intentions who is totally stepping out of God's will. This is a perfect example as we as Christians can even surround ourselves with godly people and we can share our ideas with and godly people tell us, go ahead and do it. Sounds good to me. Well, wasn't it a good thing? I mean, man, David was living in a palace and he probably looked out his window and he seen the ark down there in the tent. wasn't that good. The Bible says there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end is death. The Bible says, God said to Adam, you can eat of any tree in the garden, but do not eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It looked good, but since God said not to do it, it was therefore evil to do it. Let's see what happened. Nathan goes to take a nap that night. In verse 3, no, in verse 4, that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says about your idea. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving around from place to place in a tent as my dwelling. Whenever I have moved with all the Israelites, I did it. I ever, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to my shepherds and my people, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? So here the God wasn't too happy with David's bright idea about having to do something for him. And he got rebuked. Nathan got rebuked. Because David had a great idea to do something for God. And he said, I never. I have no problem with where I'm living. I have no problem with my tabernacle. That's the way I designed it. You see, because the tabernacle represented something. It represented a temporary dwelling place. And what was God trying to represent there for us today? He was already in the process of picturing for us what he wants to do when Christ came. The tabernacle was a representing of us, our temporal dwelling place that God would dwell in someday. So he says, you go tell David, and I won't read the chapter for time. He goes, you go tell David, you're going to build me a house? I got news for you, David. I'm going to build you a house. And he was prophesying ahead to the time Jesus would come and give us an opportunity for God to indwell us once again. We are the house of God. We are the temple of God. Do you not know that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, Do you not know? Don't you realize what you have? Do you not know that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And you guys are worried about What this guy's doing, what that guy's doing. Of course, the whole context of Paul's preaching there was they were giving glory to men. They were talking about how great Paul was and Peter was and Apollos, but they were so great. And God comes along through the apostle Paul and sets the record straight and says, Don't give man glory. Don't you know that you... Plural, every Christian in here, don't you know that you, plural, are the living stones of God? Don't you know that you, plural, are a holy habitation of God? Don't you know that from the very beginning when Adam fell, he prophesied that one would come to build a house for God to dwell in again? Don't you know that you are the house of God? And you want to get your mind set on earthly things and... You know that when even even in the you know David wanted to do this thing with God and build this tabernacle this physical structure God never told him to do it. You'll never find any instructions on in how to do it in there. But yet God gave Moses chapters of instructions on how to put that thing together, right? Right? And he said, okay, this is how you're going to do it. And the only reason he did it that way because they were still in sin. They had to go through a certain process to approach him so they could have a relationship with him. And God wanted them to have a relationship with him. And he said, "If you, you can do it this way, and I'll give you one other way to do it. If you're alone somewhere, I'll let you take a hunk of dirt. You can build a little mound of dirt if you want. Earth. Or you can take some stones and make a little heap if you want, if you need that to relate to me. And you can put your offering on that. But he said, don't you dare take a chisel to those stones. And God was saying over and over again, it's not important the heap of dirt or the stones. That's not the important thing. The important thing is me. Get your attention. Get your focus on me. Focus your energies on Jesus Christ. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the chief cornerstone of the house, which the apostles and the prophets build upon. Whenever we get our focus on men, in any way, shape, or form, we are giving glory to men. And Paul said, don't give glory to a man. You're missing it. From the beginning, God said, this is the way it is. And it was always to give attention to Jesus Christ, his son, the Redeemer. He is the head of the church. That's it. And when we come together as Christians, we're two or more of you to gather. That's all it has to be. It's not about the building. We're two or more of you gathered. I am in your Mixed, where two or more are gathered in my name, I will come and tabernacle with because you are living stones. You are God's house. And Paul said, Don't you know what you have as Christians? You are living stones that God has brought together so that He can tabernacle among us, so His kind of glory can come to us and soften our heart and heal us and meet our needs so we can fellowship with God again. When we get so sidetracked, it's because we're earthbound. And then we judge things by earthboundness. I'd rather be with one Christian in the ghetto and have God show up than be in some hot dog, hot shot, big palace where there's 5,000 people packed in there and they got the big professional music and everybody's patting themselves on the back and they're putting the preacher's picture up in the wall like he's something. He's a tent. He's a tent. He's a piece of clay. He's a sinner redeemed. He's purchased by God. He is not God. He is a tent. And he will die and stand before God and give an account for whatever glory he received unto himself. Only God is to receive glory. No one else. And we find ourselves tempted to do that. We got to stop it. Lest God judge the house. Because Paul said, he who defiles the house of God, God will judge. And out there, word for judgment means God will wither you. God will sever you from the vine. He said, if the salt has lost its saltiness, it will be cast out and trampled under the foot of man. We have got to fear God. We have got to understand. Don't you know that you are the temple of God? God created you for his pleasure to dwell amongst you, in you, and to brood over you. For his good pleasure. He made it possible through the death of his son. He gave it all to redeem us. And he wants us to understand why we come together. Okay. Praise the Lord. God will be satisfied and sanctified in his people as we sanctify ourselves with the knowledge of His Word, understanding what He wants, and we pursue that in all righteousness through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, we bow our hearts before You today, Father. And we pray, Father, that You will be glorified in these tents, these temporary dwelling places, that You alone, Lord, will be glorified. Help us, Lord, to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, not wood, hay, and stubble which will burn, but gold, silver, and precious stones. Lord God, help us to cooperate with You as You lay living stones together for a house, a dwelling place. For You prophesied that You would build a house and we are Your house. We are your temple. Break us free, Lord, from earth-boundness. And help us, Lord, to wait on you and to reach heavenward and press towards the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. None of us have attained. None of us claim to. But this one thing we will do. We will press on and upward for the high calling in Christ Jesus to secure the prize to bring glory to the Father on the earth, that there may be a witness of Jesus Christ still dwelling in our midst. For we are his church, and may we ever hold our light and not have our candles snuffed out. Please have mercy on us, Father, in Jesus' holy name. Amen.